0: So today's passage is from 1 John chapter 5 and we're going to read the first 12 verses and I'll give you all a minute to try and find it on your phone or in a paper Bible. So 1 John chapter 5 starting at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father Loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this love for God, to, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given them about his Son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen. Do uh, keep that passage open or switched on in front of you as we look at it together over the next little while. And I'm just going to pray. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for um, this letter of 1 John, which has spoken to us. Um, so clearly of the lord jesus and how he transforms us and we pray for his transforming power to be at work in us today in jesus name amen, amen. so i don't know um how long you've uh, been in the uk some people in our church haven't been here that long some have been here the whole length of the pandemic right back at the beginning of the pandemic i don't know if you remember we used to get these daily press conferences every day which every day were sort of like, oh, we told you it was bad yesterday, but it's even worse today. And um, uh, everyone loved it because for some reason the government could stretch to like getting someone to click on their own slides. So the man had to say next slide, please, all the time. he was been presented to the whole country. But anyway, one of the things they talked about early on in the pandemic was that they might be able to just like let us all catch coronavirus and then test us for antibodies, use antibody tests, and then if you had an antibody test, you could be free and you can go and do what you like because you'd have had coronavirus. And then someone thought through actually encouraging people to go out and catch this deadly disease so they can then go to a nightclub. Might not be the best idea. And so the chief medical officer used this phrase about antibody tests. This is all going somewhere. He used this phrase about antibody tests that stuck with me. It come up on the screen. He said, don't bet the farm. And that was his way of saying don't lay everything you've got on this being the solution because it might not be. Uh, And I think he knew it wasn't going to be. Now I think you might be hearing that message if you're a Christian today about being a Christian from people, even well-meaning people saying to you, listen, it's fine to have spiritual beliefs. It's It's good. I'm glad it's helpful for you. But don't bet the farm on Christianity being true you seem to be placing a lot of stuff that costs you on this you're giving like your money to help to run a church or support a missionary you're like giving your stuff away to care for poor people they aren't your responsibility you've made decisions not to do things that you would love to have done you know you're at all these Christian meetings you're very very busy don't bet the farm on all of this maybe someone said that or something like that to you and John throughout this letter has basically been saying if you have had a life-changing encounter with the real God which is what Christianity is you will bet the farm on it And particularly in this letter, he's been saying that life-changing encounter means immersion and commitment and connection to a real-life Christian community. And he's talked about the love that will require of us to be involved in that type of community. And he's pretty sort of firm about that. He says the type of love that's required to be in a Christian community, it's a bit like dying. It involves giving yourself away. He's saying the people in any Christian community, and I include this one in that, they'll get things wrong. They might even sin against you. And the call is to still bet the farm, to still love them, till you lose something. There is no guarantee if you come really wanting to be loved that you will get the love you desire and want from this community. John has been very clear. He says, no, we love because he loved us. It's not like a sort of, well, I'll see how this community is and see if I love them. It's like we're loved by God, and that's what pushes us out to love others. And for people outside, it can all look a bit weird. Like, no offense to anyone here, but you're betting the farm on something pretty strange. You know, the type of people who are attracted to a loving community, they can be odd. They could easily be not your natural friends. And the message you might hear from people outside, maybe even well meaning Christians, is well, spiritual beliefs are fine, but don't bet the farm. Now John actually in his letter doesn't do much calling people to bet the farm, to commit everything to this type of love. He just says, let's, (laughs) let's do it, let's love one another. He more just says, people who are really convinced this is true, they will bet the farm on it. And anyone who says, well, there's a bit of doubt whether it's worth doing that, Well, those people are echoing what John calls the world, which is basically his shorthand for people who don't know God. he's read to us a very famous verse in the Bible that says God loves the world. So he's not at all demonizing and say terrible people out there in the world. But he is saying, be very careful of letting your views on these matters, Jesus, these matters of utmost importance, be formed by the world that doesn't know God. So yeah, the world thinks you're weird for being in this strange, odd community. But don't let what is loved by people who don't know God change what you bet the farm on. Now sometimes, when people are struggling with what they call doubt, sorry my accent, doubt, you know what I mean, doubt. Uh, Say it again. When people say they're struggling with that, Sometimes what they're really struggling with is not always But sometimes what people are saying when they're saying I'm dotting my faith is what they're saying is the community is hard work Someone has offended or hurt me maybe repeatedly maybe it's not as strong as that It's just the people are strange and they're not my kind of people And the siren voice of the world says well say yeah yeah you're probably right they are strange so don't bet the farm on it What are you getting out of it? This doesn't need to control your life. Spend some time and energy on yourself. People around me think this is weird. They particularly think the call to love these people at my own cost is weird. And we start to go cold. It becomes a burden. To keep loving these people who don't seem that good at loving me why bet the farm for many of us i think this comes into play as our children get older why invite your kids into this complex life well one john the letter next week we're going to see ends with a call not to worship a made-up god but to really give yourself everything that you have in worship to the real God, the God we meet in Jesus. Bet the farm on him. And this section is all about why to do that. So here's the first thing we're going to see. Bet the farm on Jesus, not the feeling world. If you are a Christian today, there was some reason at some time you decided to be a Christian It may have been a moment you thought, yeah, I want to do this now. For many of us, I think it was more like a process. But if you truly know God, something about Jesus attracted you to trust him. You believed that at some time. Plus, you experienced or believed you experienced something the Bible calls new birth. You were born of God when you trusted that Jesus was the Christ. That's what John is saying in chapter five, verse one. If you're a Christian, at some point you trusted Jesus and you had that experience, new birth. Maybe that experience is distant to you now, you can't really remember it or feels like a world away, but you definitely thought that at some point. And everyone who's been brought into that relationship with God, that intimate love by God as father, that same relationship with God that Jesus himself has, that person, John says, loves God's children too. There's a logic to it, isn't there? You believe in Jesus and he remakes your life, rebirths you into a new life, and you discover around you there's all these other people who God has done that with too. Children of the same father God's family. Now, it's clear that um, John has no room at all in his thinking for the person who says, yeah, 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 I love God, but I just have no room or love for other Christians. But he's actually also affirming something positive you might have experienced. I don't know whether you've ever had the experience of ending up somewhere far away in the world, and out of nowhere, you meet someone who's also a Christian. And you're like, wow, we are connected even though I've never met you before. Wherever you find them, you love them. Of course you do. Same dad. That's the logic of it, John is saying. But I love what he says next as well. Look at verse 2, the verse that's on the screen. Uh, No, it isn't. Uh, It's in your Bible. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. Now, that is a reversal of what John said before in the letter. Before in the letter, he said, we uh, know that we love God if we love his children. This is the other way round, did you know that? We know we love his children if we love God. What is that about? Well I just think it's about reality. I mean, as I said, I can't speak for other churches, I can only speak for our own. But not everyone here, and I include myself, is easy to love all the time. And maybe you've come today, or perhaps you're at home watching online today for this very reason, because you are nursing a hurt that someone has done to you. Or maybe it's less serious than that. It's just you look around and you think, mm, these people are not really my kind of people. Or they, they seem to fit right in, but I really don't. I maybe mean, that's how you feel. And yet, you're still going. You haven't given up. You serve in some way. You persist in helping people who don't need it. You know, you don't love my uh, talks. That's not your favorite bit. But you're still falling over yourself to love and serve other people. And John is saying, well, that's fine. It's good. That's the right thing to do before God to serve other people. And if you're doing it for him, even if you don't particularly feel like doing it for everyone else, you know, great. That's enough. You are loving the children of God if you persist in serving and giving stuff up because God says you should do it. That is it. To do it to honour God is fine. So don't worry too much if you find all of us a bit irritating. Happen sometimes. But you persist in practically giving yourself away anyway because you think God would want me to do that. Great. That's the love he wants. We've talked a lot about authentic community in this series. There's the difference here, I think, between Christian authentic community and what we think. We think authentic community is people I feel I re- immediately get on with because they like me, and we all have lots in common or whatever. But church is different. Church will mean stretching across social barriers. It's often tiring. There's often cultural confusion. There's often age difference and background difference. But the story of the church is of Christians all through history who haven't found a social group they wanted and would have chosen. But they persisted with these people because they love God. And they want to do what he says. They feel like square pegs in round holes, but they keep going because it's the right thing to do before the Lord. That's it. Loving God is obeying his commandments. Now here's the bit that sounds crazy to me. He says in verse 3, and these commands aren't burdensome. He's saying these commands, they aren't heavy. Sounds like he's saying they're not hard. They aren't heavy, apparently, because we, through our faith, we've overcome the world. So he's saying this self-giving love for the Christians around you, even if they're odd and difficult and you don't like them much, it's not a burden. I feel like writing back a letter to him, don't you, saying, not sure you've been to my church. Not sure you've met my Auntie Flo. Sometimes it's a burden. But he says it isn't because, and he uses this phrase, we have overcome the world. The world would say, don't persist in loving other Christians when it feels hard. If it's hard, don't do it. So when I feel like that, when I feel like he's lying, and this command is a burden to me, it's heavy to carry, I need to ask myself, Why do I feel like that? Usually, and I can only talk about myself, I like to locate the hardness of loving people in other people. Well, of course that person is hard to love. Of course they are. They are problematic. But remember, then I remember we don't love others because they love us, we love because we've been loved by God, and I know I've been loved by God, so why am I still finding this command a burden? Well, I can only talk about myself. That when I feel like I know what the loving thing is to do, but I feel like following that command to love someone is burdensome, the problem is me. Why do I have to be the one to have that hard conversation? I don't feel like going to, my, to the connect group tonight. I can't stand facing up, uh, facing up for this wrong person because it will bring endless trouble for me. I don't want to have to give up my money or my time or my energy, even though the loving thing to do is clear. It feels like such a burden. Why is that it feels like a burden? Because I've listened to the world. I've adopted a story, a view, a narrative, and the world says to me, you shouldn't have to do hard things. Toxic people don't deserve your time. You need to just put yourself first. You need that time or money or energy. It's not fair that you're being asked to give it up. No one is loving you well. Why should you love others? There's a huge complex web of messaging out there. John calls the world the media and education shouting to me You're above it, loving other people with a cost. But when I find that command to love a burden, it's because I'm listening to the world. And John says that was silly because the moment you trusted Jesus, the moment you were attracted to him, you overcame the world. When you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, it must have been because this self-giving away love of Jesus spoke to you. Jesus dying for the sake of others, giving his life away for others, that must have impacted you. That called you to trust him. And can you see if that's true of you In that moment, you moved away from thinking I should do what's right for me into thinking the most honourable thing to do is give yourself away for others. If you are a Christian, you've moved. You overcame the world. Becoming a Christian, as I've got a picture, is an act of resistance. It's an act of resistance to the selfish, power-hungry systems of the world. I think I've got a picture of someone resisting, just to help us get that into our heads. Not oh, him. That's the shocking <laughs> bit. Becoming a Christian is an act of resistance. It's the world's selfish, power-hungry systems that say to us, you put yourself first. Anyone demanding you not do that is a burden. And becoming a Christian is an act of resistance to that. It says No. Love is giving yourself away. I trust and worship someone who's like that. I've overcome the world. If you are a Christian, we always have guests here who aren't, you're welcome too. But if you're a Christian, you ditched the corrupt, self serving call of the world the moment you believed in a God who was born in a stable, and who never owned anything, and who was executed as a criminal. You overcame the world. So loving sacrificially isn't a burden that you add onto an otherwise world-shaped selfish life. Loving sacrificially is the moment, the commands of God, particularly the command to love others is burdensome and I'm complaining to God about doing them, it's because I've hedged my bets. Oh, I'll put a bit of trust in Jesus, but also in this thing the world says is good. And John says you've overcome the world the moment you trusted in Jesus. You know, loving other people sacrificially probably is a burden, if being a really successful person or seeking the praise of others Or having the nicest house. Or having the best friends. Or having the best educated kids. Listening to the world about saying what's important. If you're listening to all of that, loving other people probably is quite a big burden to add on to that too. But you overcame all of that. The moment you trusted the God who died. So it's not burdensome. It's John's way of saying, while it's challenging... I think it's actually what you want. We've said this before in this series. Maybe you think, oh, avoiding what the world says is so hard. But in the end, what do you want? Do you want your life to look like Jesus, the most loving, sacrificial, brilliant, worth-worshipping person who ever lived? Or do you want your life to look like the average sort of middle-class, worldly person you see around you? You choose. But Jesus... Is more compelling. Of course, this only conch, you can only bet the farm on all this truth about Jesus if it's actually real. And this is the second thing that we see. Because you really have life. Bet the farm on Jesus, not the feeling world, because you really have life. For someone who's trying to be assuring, John suddenly gets very confusing. Water, blood, spirit. It's a bit like, you know, what were you smoking when you wrote this bit? Uh, what are you talking about not just by water but by blood what's he getting at now remember you might remember from a few weeks ago John is dealing with a particular false teaching here the idea that Jesus wasn't a real human being he was just a sort of spiritual being and so uh, lots of people in John's church believe well Jesus couldn't really have died because he was spiritual and spiritual people can't die and that of course sets a whole lot of things wrong if you don't really believe Jesus was able to die Uh, and John says Jesus came by water and the blood. He's saying that in the Gospels, the records we have of Jesus, he was baptized when God's Spirit came onto him, but also he came by blood. He really did die in his physical body. And the Spirit, he says, wasn't opposed to that or against that. Jesus being baptized, Jesus dying for us, and the Holy Spirit showing us that a dying Messiah is the true one. They're all in agreement. Now, I can see people zoning out. That might not be the type of false teaching that particularly tempts you. I don't know what your particular temptations are, but I don't suspect many of us are sitting home thinking, I'm really tempted today that Jesus was an, in- believe Jesus was an incorporeal being. And that's my battle today. Although it is worth saying, it might be the fa- type of false teaching that surfaces in conversations. Quite a lot of our Muslim friends believe this type of thing. ...that it was not the actual historical Jesus who died on the cross... ...because, you know, God wouldn't let one of his holy people die that way. So it's still out there and round there, this idea. And the the whole idea crops up now and again... ...because you'll find people saying, it's not what Jesus did that matters... ...as long as you try and follow his teaching... ...it doesn't matter what you believed about him... ...his miraculous events like his baptism and his place in the Trinity... ...and the meaning of his death, that's all just window dressing... ...just try and be a good person... And John definitely won't have that. John says, you accept all sorts of things are real because people tell you them. Well, you need to do that with God. You can think people are lying and you can tell them that, but you wouldn't say that about God. And God says he has given us eternal life, that life is in his son. If you have the son, you have life. And if you don't have the son, you don't have life. That is God's view The only life is in the Son because God says so. Now that sounds a bit negative and harsh, especially in our culture. But of course John is trying to be encouraging. He's saying if you have the Son, you do have life. There's no extra thing you need. This eternal life from God comes through his Son. God says so. And who's going to argue with him? I'm aware if you're not a Christian here today, this isn't like a successful apologetic argument. If you don't believe the Bible is a record of what God said, then saying to you, well, God says it, so it must be true, is going to be very convincing to you. I get that. That's a different question. I'm happy to talk about it more not here. But this is aimed at Christians who are feeling unsure and rubbish and weak and disqualified and weary of loving other Christians, perhaps falling for the lie that they shouldn't bother doing that, And John says, hey, guys, come on. Jesus is real. He really was God's son. He really died. God himself says you have the life of God in you if you know his son. In a sense, who are you to argue with that just because you're feeling rubbish today or the church is getting on your nerves? That's not up for debate. God says it. You have life. And the whole point of this passage is to say, if you can be sure of that, you should bet the farm. If you're convinced enough to become a Christian, if you're convinced enough to worship someone who was God's own son and became the lowest human person out of love for us, it must be right to love like him, even when that's hard. If the Jesus we are talking about today was baptised and honoured by God and was given God's Holy Spirit and also died for the sake of others and you by the Spirit know his comfort in your life you must be a real Christian. So bet the farm. Love in a costly way. If you have the Son you have life. Live that life. The life that he offers become like jesus the best person who ever lived don't listen to the world in your ear saying don't bother with that settle for some boring set of middle-class expectations instead you've overcome that if you have the sun you have life so bet the farm On him. Let's pray. Just take a few moments of quiet to reflect on what we've heard. This is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We thank you, Father, for that moment where we met you in the person of the humble, self-giving Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the work of your Spirit who convinced us he is the one worth worshipping. We thank you that at that moment we overcame the world with all its false, corrupt promises about putting ourselves first and we pray you will help us live in this life that you have given us because Jesus is real. And Lord, many of us will have particular challenges with that, particular people telling us we are too committed, people, particular people we find hard to love, particular situations which feel discouraging and flattening. We pray for that faith, a renewing of that faith that overcomes the world by seeing Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen.